Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast, Season 3. I'm Rob Shear, the founder of Comfort Cases and your host. Together, we have made such a difference in the world. We've met with leaders and change makers in the foster care system. We've met with charities and philanthropists, celebrities, authors, and so much more. We'll continue to bring you guests who will share how together, as a community, we can bring about change. Welcome once again to Fostering Change. Well, you know, it's hard to believe that we are in the month of April, and what an unbelievable beginning of the year this has been. You know, I think that we all have to sit back for a moment and just think about the number of kids who have entered our foster care system since actually we have what people say have come out of the pandemic. You know, I talked about this quite often throughout our podcast um, in this season is about how, you know, we have been averaging 700 children a day entering foster care. I wore my favorite shirt today, which is reminding people that every single day we're averaging 700 kids entering our foster care system. Now let's remember something. The fact is, is that these kids enter the system and most of us think that they enter the system and then they return home. That's not the case. The case is, is that they actually come into the system in so many of them. And right now we're about 121,000 are sitting waiting for a forever family. Well, you know what? My next guest, he's making sure that that changes. He's making sure that kids who enter foster care that have the opportunity to be adopted, that people are actually taking notice. So I've been fortunate enough to call Rich my friend, and he is the CEO and the founder of an organization called Raise a Child. This organization is located in California, but good morning, Rich, and welcome to Fostering Change. Thank you very much, Rob. Good to be here with you. Yes. So, Rich, you know, I know that you're based in California, but word on the street is that you guys are getting ready to expand. Yeah, yeah. This has been kind of a goal of ours for the past uh, year or so. Uh, Two years ago, I had a challenge to the team. I said, you know, I'd like to expand to four new counties in California. We ended up expanding to 14. And now I want to expand to four new locations across the U.S. The first one that we're about to expand to is the state of Vermont. And uh, so we've had uh, great meetings with the folks there. Um, And it looks as though we're going to expand throughout every one of the 56 counties in California, too. So that's amazing. That's amazing. You know, I... I, I actually follow you. I follow your organization. I am always moved by what you do. And and first, I, I want everyone to know, I talk, I say this quite often, as a gay man, my husband and I, we adopted through the foster care system. All five of my beautiful babies that are behind me on the wall um, all came from the system. And um, I love the fact that, you know, even though, you know, your organization is truly supporting our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, um, your organization is helping anyone who wants to build their family through foster care. That is right. That is right. You know, it started out that uh, in our first two years, we partnered with HRC, Human Rights Campaign, and we were doing events and campaigns in New York City, Chicago, San Francisco, and LA, really focusing on the LGBT community. 
In year two, uh, we got a call from an agency that we work closely with that an unusual thing happened in their training class over the weekend. And uh, so they were about to break for lunch. And a woman raised her hand and asked the instructor if she could address the, the class. And the instructor said, you know, that rarely happens. Usually people are a little more uh, quiet in the class. And, you know, but uh, the woman stood up and she said, I need to apologize to everyone. She said, I came into this group through Raise a Child, and I figured that I needed to present myself as a lesbian. She said, quite honestly, I wanted to foster and adopt all of my life. And she said, I'm a single middle-aged woman that wasn't sure that I wanted to be in a room where I might be judged by a husband and wife or by other people. And she said, I feel completely comfortable here in this class full of LGBT people. And she said, I just wanted to be honest with all of you. And everyone kind of had a laugh uh, with her. Uh, But what we learned from that is what we created to really care for and respect one community, the LGBT community, we could really expand and welcome all people equally by showing them respect, I mean, we need to tweak what we do when we work with the faith-based community, when we work with um, Spanish language community, but it's really about something that hasn't happened uh, so so much or so well in foster care, really the respect of the, of the non-relative caregivers that come into the system. You, you know, Rich, I have to agree with you 100%. I mean, I remember 13 years ago when Reese and I went to our first class, we were actually the only LGBTQ couple in there until the next week, another couple had arrived. And I remember us sitting in the parking lot during the break, how weird it felt, because they were all these other people that were moms and dads. And, you know, the one thing I have to say is, I'm very lucky, I get to meet 1000s of children all over the country. And um, the one thing that all the kids tell me is, they don't care. What they care about is the fact that they have someone who loves them, someone who is in invested in them, you know. So right now in LA County alone, you all are sitting with about 21,000 children, just in LA County, everybody. I want you to hear these numbers because these numbers are absolutely astonishing to me. There's literally 21,000 children in LA County. Okay. Now, mind you, I understand how large LA County is um, compared to my county where I live, um, where we have 400 kids. Um, But 21,000 kids, and then you look at your state where you're almost at 60,000 kids. How many of those kids are actually where the TPR, um, and for those who don't know what that means, it's the the, um, rights of the parents have been severed by the court system. Um, How many kids in California are waiting for a forever family? So I can tell you that um, in LA County, I think actually... It's about 21,000 that are uh, kids in foster care that are in out-of-home placement. So they are in with foster parents and all. I think the number of open cases they have on uh, kids that they're tracking their well-being and all is closer to 30,000. But at any given time in L.A. County, there are about four, 350 to 450 
uh, kids that are on track to have their parental rights terminated. Um, in the state of California, they don't like to terminate the parental rights uh, until there is a, another family identified as the adoptive uh, family. So if we look at it like this, that in LA County, we have about one third of the number of kids in the system. So there must be, you know, another 1,200 kids or so in the system that are waiting for adoptive homes across the state. So, you know, Rich, I, um, you know, adopted through the District of Columbia, and they have the same kind of rule that California has, where they do not like to do a TPR on the parents until there's been a a family that's been, you know, looking that they could op they, they could adopt. But what I've noticed through, you know, the research that I've done in our area is that's actually detrimental for the child. Um, and it makes parents who want to adopt a little bit more skittish um, because their mind, they're thinking that these the the birth parents can come back. Don't you feel that it's about time after all of the case studies that we have seen that it would be it would behoove the child for those rights to be severed? Because you know as well as I do. I mean, let's just I mean, I, I'm ready, everybody. I know I'm going to get the, the emails and I'm going to get the DMs. And, you know, the fact is, is that we want kids to stay with their biological parents. We want them to stay with a living relative. We want that. But we have to look at truly what is really going on within our child welfare system. And when it comes to children who enter foster care and the and the fact that we call these these boomerang kids that we're like so guaranteed we want them to be with their parents. They go in the system and out of the system, in the system. And the next thing you know, they're in a penitentiary. So so where do you think that we should do when it comes to changing some of these rules? You know, I think that we need to work with uh, state and federal uh, lawmakers. Um, you know, in the children's court in L.A. County, you know, I, I, in politics, I've been around long enough to see that the pendulum swings from the left to the right. And right now in, in the country, I think the pendulum fell apart. But um, as far as kids go, um, I think that in the children's court, we need to be more uh, amp up the volume on what is the child going through. I understand the the need to do everything you can to reunify the child back into a healthy family. But in the meantime, while you're waiting for the parents to get their act together, what is that doing to a child living with uncertainty? And this is going now from two years to three years on average, I would say, and in some cases, even longer. So you can't really promote a child uh, toward adoption until all of these, the, the parents are getting all of the chances that they can. And, and the family, you know, who in the family would like to step up or what teacher would like to step up for the child? I, I'm with you, Rob. I feel that um, in addition to doing the good work for the family, we also need to take more consideration for the child. And, and what is this doing to them long term, just waiting? Yeah, with I the agree. Unknown. 
I agree with you. And the fact is, is that I feel like we have forgotten the fact that this is child welfare, not family welfare. This is child welfare. And, you know, and if we look at, and by the way, the, the, the ones who email me, the ones who say I'm trying to rip families apart are also not the ones who have stepped up and adopted five kids. And so I have children. They are my lifeline. But I have children that had suffered through trauma that was unnecessary trauma because of the length of time that they set in the system and the constant, you know, six months, there's no one shows up in their life. All of a sudden they go on the path of adoption. And then all of a sudden somebody shows up and says, oh, I decided today I'm going to take a class. And then all of a sudden their goal is changed back to reunification. And then there's another six months. And it's just, to me, it's heartbreaking because I feel like, first of all, being a parent is the hardest job in the world. Oh yeah. It's the hardest job in the world. Most rewarding, but the hardest job in the world. But Rich, what I truly do believe and I keep saying this, it is not fair for children to sit on the sidelines and wait for a parent to be a parent. And what I do know is that we all have fallen in our lives, every single one of us. But there comes a point in our lives that we should have a certain period of time to stand up or step aside. And, and that is for the well-being of the child. I mean, we, we know science have, has said that utero to two is so, so important for a child. You know, and for me as a dad, I mean, I have a child that has reactive attachment disorder. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's the scariest thing in the world. You know, I, I want to change the topic a little bit because you guys have a different approach helping children and youth that are in foster care um, from what I'm hearing. You know, you found like a little niche when it comes to helping children. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, uh, just like you. I didn't adopt five, but I did adopt two kids, a brother and sister from the system. I'm a little and, overachiever, uh, though, by the way. So <laughs> <you> know that. <laughs> well, thank God for folks like you. I appreciate that. But I have to say, my, my first uh, entry into this, I attended an orientation meeting in Pasadena at the Pasadena City College. The room was full of people even before the orientation started. There were folks like interrupting the instructors with a question, you know, if I have a kid at a D rate, how do I get them at an F rate? And then what money would I make from that? Or how much can I make? And I was looking around the room and I realized uh, that there were two kind of people there. There were people there that were right with those folks asking, you know, about the money they could make. And then there were other folks like me uh, sitting there with their mouths open, not sure if they felt welcome in that kind of atmosphere. So when I went through the process, I experienced a number of different things. I'll tell you a quick story, hopefully. Um, Halfway through the training, we were uh, broke up into uh, twos. Uh, The instructors had us... uh, get together with someone else there and review case studies. Now, I can't remember what my case study was, but I do remember the two women, middle-aged women that stood up and were very conservatively dressed. And they said, our case study is that we have a 15-year-old foster child, a boy that we're taking care of, 
um, these two women weren't related in any way, but they said that he's coming home from school, uh, bloody nose, different things happening over a series of weeks. Finally, he comes home from school one day and he announces that he thinks he's gay. What would you do? Well, the one woman looked at the class and said, well, I have a 14-year-old that I gave birth to of my own, of a 14-year-old son. I would have to get rid of the 15-year-old because I don't want him to turn my 14-year-old gay. And I sat there and I thought, oh, my, these instructors are going to have a time with this lady. And then the next lady said, well, I'd have to get rid of the 15-year-old because that's against my religion. And so I sat there kind of waiting for the instructors to address it with the laws of California, you know, the realities that, you know, you don't turn people gay just from, you know, living together, whatever it may be. And instead, the instructors were not prepared. And so they said, let's move on to the next one. They didn't address it at all. And what that did to me, sitting there as a single man, as a gay man, wanting to build a family, created a lot of doubt. So I'm getting around to answer your question. What we have, what I learned in that experience is that I want to make sure that Raise a Child treats every parent coming into this venture, into this journey with respect, with love, and with support. And those folks that come in to Raise a Child asking about how much money they can make, we shake those people right away because that's not what's good for the kids. We approach things differently. Like you said, the child welfare system. We've found a way to support and nurture children in foster care by making sure we're finding the best parents out there, people, ordinary people, that we help do extraordinary things. And so we're helping kids by helping the parents, by supporting the parents, by mentoring the parents, and helping them open up their minds to the types of kids that they might want to build a family with, opening up their minds to the kids that are actually in the foster care system. We have a lot of people that come and say, okay, I want to adopt a a baby, a newborn baby girl, blue eyes, blonde hair. And it's like, folks, if you really want to help a child here, take, take these kids into consideration. Let us help you and support you through this process to do real good for kids in foster care. Yeah, I agree. You know, Reese always said, and he said it in the very beginning when we started our journey, is that if you can change a child's life for just one day, haven't you made an impact? And, you know, I I actually write about that in my memoir about the whole check situation and how uncomfortable it made me. And, you know, and I mean, you look at even the news to, you know, this week, I, I read the news, you know, where, you know, these poor kids were in a in a home and you could tell that it was only about the check, you know, and, and the thing is, is that I don't know about the state of, of California, but if you are truly taking care of children in the state of Maryland and you think that you're going to make money on that stipend, um, you're not taking care of the kids. Listen, everybody, this has been a great conversation. I'm asking you to do me a big favor, and I know my ask is quite often, but I want you to go visit raiseachild.org. Um, I truly want you to read about them, read about the difference that they're making for children. Understand exactly what my friend Rich just said. It's about supporting the family. 
family. You know, when you support a family that is fostering a child, you truly support your community. Okay, let's understand that when you're supporting that family, you are supporting your community, because at the end of the day, as I say this quite often, these kids don't belong to you. They don't belong to me. They belong to us. And if we support a family, we're supporting ourselves. We'll be right back. So, you know, everybody, I talk about this quite often, um, seeing the expansion that we have at Comfort Cases and to now know that we have a Comfort Cases UK team, I could not be more grateful. But what I'm so excited about is that on May the 24th, my family will be boarding a plane and heading to the UK for a really big event. So I have my friend Sarah, who is actually also the CEO and the founder of Comfort Cases UK right here with me today. So Sarah, tell us about what's going on when I get there. Oh my gosh, we are so excited to have you come to the UK. I cannot tell you, we are just so looking forward to meeting you and all your family. And we have got a huge event taking place on the 26th of May. Um, we are introducing comfort cases to our community, to our network, and we are so excited to invite you to talk as our keynote speaker. Um, and we will be doing some fundraising on the evening, but most importantly is to spread the message of how important the work that Comfort Cases UK is trying to do and to continue all the good work that you've already been doing over there in the US. And uh, things are happening really fast here and we just cannot wait for you to share it with us. Well, I will tell you, I'm really, really excited. So listen, everybody, for those who are listening to our podcast or actually you're watching it on YouTube, I want you all to do me one big favor. I want you to go to comfortcasesuk.org and donate. That's exactly right. What you would have donated to Comfort Cases, you know, here, I want you to go donate to comfortcasesuk.org. We truly need to make people understand whether there's a pond that is separating us, we are all one community. So Sarah, I'm excited to come to the UK, sending lots of love and please comfortcasesuk.org. You know, you all know me by now. This is our third season and there is nothing more than I like than an energetic conversation that actually lifts each and every one of us up to do better to be better. You know, the fact that, you know, hearing the story of the two women who talked about a child coming home and how they would have to have the child leave because the child, you know, happened to be, you know, LGBTQ. When are we going to realize, okay, when are we going to realize at the end of the day, each and every one of these kids are kids. Literally, they are kids and they need love and they need guidance. You know, Rich, one of the things I really want to touch base on, because this is something that has really been, you know, it's weighed, weighed heavy on my heart as me as a kid who grew up in the system and knowing how I was, you know, classified as, you know, one of those kids. What can we do? We have got to do something to change the stigma that these kids are, quote, bad kids. You know, from the very beginning uh, at Raise a Child, back when we could do in-person events, uh, typically uh, agencies, when they do their own recruitment, they may have uh, like an event, an orientation in a, a church basement in, you know, not so nice offices. At Raise a Child, we've always tried to 
open up and, and elevate the image of kids in foster care. And we did it, uh, one way we've done it is by renting out art galleries, renting out museums or, or whatever it may be. We, wanna, we wanted to, back when we could, host events in inspirational uh, locations. We also used to meet people at the door with a glass of bubbly, whether it be non-alcoholic or alcoholic, uh, to, you know, there's nothing worse than going to a party and feeling uncomfortable. And when people would come to these events, they're so out of their comfort zone because there's so much unknown that, you know, I would stand at the door, meet people, offer them a glass of something and to make them feel comfortable. All the way through, our messaging at Raise a Child is um, inspirational, I hope. I'm always, you know, challenging our, our creative team to, to make sure that we're using images of our own families as much as possible. We just did a photo shoot of um, LGBT parents uh, on Saturday of last week, and the weekend before I was in L.A., to do a photo shoot of uh, diverse families that we have. So it's, it's all about, uh, for us, showing a community, making sure the people who step into this ad adventure with us uh, feel supported and welcomed. And, you know, it, it's every, every step that we can take to elevate the image of kids in foster care, we're doing that. Yeah, you know, because I, I truly believe that that is such a disservice that we do by um, not talking about it. You know, right. um, you know, my friend Jennifer Perry over at Foster Moore, I mean, she did the whole thing where the water cooler talk, which, you know, I talk about that quite often, is that I tell everybody every opportunity that you have to talk about children in foster care, we need to talk about them. Right. And we need to talk about them. Even if you even if you just think about the statistics, you know, 54 percent only graduate from high school. We know that over 82 percent of kids that 82 percent of the prison inmates have been touched or in foster care. You know, we've done such a disservice by not talking about them. And I remind people kids are in the system because of choices other people made. And, you know, I'm a true believer, Rich. There's no such thing as a bad child. It's only a child that needs to be redirected. But this right. is my concern. So I live right outside the District of Columbia, and I live in a small, what they call a horse town, where we have no apartments or townhouses. And yes, you know, our medium income is higher than what's around the area. And the issue that I have is that when, when I take my children to church and I ask my minister about when's the last time a social worker has ever called and ever wanted to come and talk to our congregation about foster care, and she says never. And I'm going to tell you the reason that is. It's because of the side of the track that we live on. And I feel like for so much, and I see this throughout the recruitment throughout the country. And so it's so glad to hear what you're saying, because what I see is I see that these recruiters, I you can call them whatever you want. Um, they go directly to a low income area because right. it's a, a enticing for the money because they think people like me, people like you, people like us, we don't care. But in actuality, we do care. The problem is we're not educated 
about these kids. So what would you say for a town like mine, you know, an area like mine, how do we get more involved to, to, you know, open up that, that bottle of bubbly and have it at an art museum compared to where my husband and I went, which by the way, I say it in my book, literally got in the car, looked at Reese and said, there is no way in hell I'm coming to another class after what I saw in that class. What do you think that we should do throughout the nation? So what Raise a Child is doing is when we first started, we took a look at exactly that. How was recruitment of fostering adoptive parents being done? What, what avenues were they using? And so, you know, counties were going to church parking lots, setting up a table, waiting for the uh, church service to let out, hoping to talk to people. Usually um, two, I don't know, I don't want to talk badly about anybody, but it takes a special kind of person to sit at a table or stand at a table. Um, One thing that we've done from the very beginning is told our agency partners, when you have a table at a raised child event, I don't want you sitting behind there. I want you standing in front of the table and interact with people, compliment them on their shoes, get a conversation going, open it up to get, you know, get the pamphlet in their hand or, or whatever it may be for us. What we realized is there's this whole group of people that you're describing, Rob, that were not being addressed. So what we did initially in L.A. and we continue to do is reach out and we uh, do underwriting on uh, NPR affiliate stations. NPR stations um, attract uh, a more liberal minded, uh, more educated, uh, more affluent audience. We do outdoor banners showing the images of families, happy families, uh, kids of all ages with families. So we're creating, a, uh, we're trying to rebrand foster care in a way to attract, to make sure that all levels, all across uh, populations are being addressed in some way, because we really need all people to come on board with either the counties, the uh, agencies, or raise a child, or whoever it may be, we need everybody. We can't discriminate against anybody. We need everybody because, just as I said the other night in a virtual event that we hosted, as diverse as everybody was that was attending and in Zoom, you know, we could see their faces. The kids in foster care are even more diverse, more more challenges, more more opportunities um, than what we had there in that evening. So we're all about making sure that we're reaching everyone. Everyone has an opportunity to help us. Yeah, no, I, and I, let me tell you something. You, you hit the nail on the head. The, the fact is, is that you got to get away from the table and you got to reach out to them and you have to, you know, cause first of all, you know, every opportunity that you have is an opportunity for a child's future. Right. Um, and, and to me, that is, that is so, so important. Listen, everyone, I am telling you, if you have even just thought, just thought for a moment, 
that maybe this is the route you want to go to not only just build your family, maybe you want to do this that because you just know that you could be and help a child and give them the love they need. I'm asking you, please visit my friend's organization, Raise a Child. You guys are doing unbelievable stuff. By the way, I want to throw this number out there to everyone that's listening. Number one, I talk about these nonprofits all the time. I have them on my show every week. The majority of them are nonprofits. The fact that they are not getting the funding that you think that they are getting. So every single time you go to their website, you make what donation, $5, $10, $100. It is truly the difference of whether or not they're able to get in front of another person. But let me tell you how impactful Raise a Child is. You know, and Rich, I have interviewed some of the most amazing organizations out there who do similar work that you are doing. I've never heard the number. And in the almost now 11 years that you have started this organization, you have actually placed 30, over 35,000 children in a forever family. Am I correct with that number? You are correct. It's a combination of fostering, adopting, and respite. Uh, is how we figure that out. But yeah, uh, across the nation, uh, from the very beginning, when, you know, we were doing events all over, most of it happens in California. But uh, yes. Wow, that is amazing, Rich. I, that is amazing. And by the way, everybody, the fact is, is that we say that it's happening in California, but do not forget what I say. Your zip code is not your community. It's not your community. Our community is our human race. And if we are affecting children in California, we're affecting kids in my little town of Darnstown, Maryland. Listen, this has been another great episode of Fostering Change. Um, Rich, I'm going to have you back, my friend. We're so much more that you and I can talk about. If you have any information whatsoever, a question that you have, please do not hesitate to reach out to raiseachild.org. I've been on their website. They have an information email that you can reach directly out to them to find out any information. If not, you can always email fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. And remember, each and every one of us, you don't need to go to that overpriced coffee shop this month. Take that money Put it in a jar and at the end of the month, donate it. Donate it to an organization like Raise a Child. I hope each and every one of you continue to do what we all need to do, and that is be a good human. Thank you. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, comfortcases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.